if you could grab your, grab your Bibles, turn to the book of letter of 2 John. 2 John. Last week we preached from 1 John. I had a message out of 1 John. We're going to go to 2 John today. Um, next week we're going to go to 3 John. Next week we're going to go to Jude, just to catch you. Catch a little, catch a little pattern there. But uh, if you could turn to the book of 2 John and stand, and we'll read our passage for today. comes from 2 John 1.8. Short verse. It says, Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Let's pray. God, thank you, Lord, for, again, the opportunity to come to your house. Lord, no matter what our circumstances or what our emotions may be, we know that we need to be grounded in you. We need to be grounded in your word, and we know that the strength comes from you. So thank you for your spirit with us today. And we pray that as we open your word, we can just continue to be encouraged and challenged and assured by it. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. Please be seated. So, last week, it's like David preaches with me too. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how much I hurt. Just in a short time. I can't imagine. The hurt that some of you feel. Let me share a memory now, because I think i got to get it out. <laughs> it's one I shared Wednesday night. But, um, so I, uh, I'm like tone deaf. I played, I played music growing up, and you might not know, but I can't hear if you're flat or you're sharp or whatever. I can't hear it. But I played clarinet, I played saxophone, played different things growing up. And um, you know, led the choir uh, before I moved up here. And uh, it was all a piano. As long as the piano was okay, you can be all right with it. When I came here, I didn't really jump at the chance to sing. Because it's something I like to do, but it's not something I feel just, I got to sing. I got to sing. But uh, two weeks, two weeks, I got to sing with Brother Dave. I'll never forget. Never forget. So there's three promises we're going to review this morning before we even get started to help me as, as the introduction. So last week we went through 1 John. I really hope you took the 22 minutes to read it this past week, even with the ups and downs. I hope you took the 22 minutes to read it. There's three quick promises before we get started um, this morning, and it's in 1 John 1.5. 1 John 1.5 says that God is light. And I mentioned that, that in dark times God is light. But dark or light, he never changes, and he is light for us. In 1 John 4, 8, 1 John 4, 8, it says, God is love. God is love. And in 1 John 5, 20, it says, God is truth. God is light. God is love. And God is truth. Those are three truths. There's a loose connection somewhere. There was um, 
Those are the three things that really helped me this week get through a tough week. And um, there you go. I thought they were good. And uh, need a sidekick this morning. <laughs> um, but last week. Brother Andy, you got your wish. I have to stand still. <laughs> Brother Andy says, stop moving from left to right. He's got to work too hard with the camera. All right. so I'll stay right here this morning. Right here. So the final part of our review, last week we had our three tests, right? Um, you had to grade yourself. I don't know how you, how you graded it, but we had our, our moral or behavioral test, our social, how we love each other test, and our doctrinal or belief test, right? Chris chose we believe this morning, and that's essential to our faith that we have. We believe in God the Father, we believe in Jesus Christ, and we believe in the Holy Spirit. And He has given us new life. He has given us new life. And that's so foundational. And as we continue into 2 John today, the theme and the caution and the warning is essentially the same, that there will be false teachings out there that try to pull us away from our beliefs. They try to pull us away from our Savior, but we must stand firm on His truth. And in 2 John, it's a short letter. It's less than 250 Greek words. You might say he wrote it just so it would fit on one short piece of paper to send out to the church. So please hope you still have your Bibles open a second, John. We're going to read through this short letter today. The elder to the elect and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ and the Father, Son, in truth and love. And that's his greeting of this letter. You'll notice that truth in this short intro is said four times. And how important it is that we stay true to the truth that Jesus Christ taught us. I can't, this phrase Huff said several weeks ago keeps sticking in my mind. I know it's scary, but you know, it sticks in your mind. You can't legislate morality. I think that's an odd jump, but you still, I try to keep up with the world today and just continuing to see the protests still in this country. And you get a little, we're starting to get a little glimpse on what it's like inside of those. And there's confusion and there's chaos and they don't know what they need. We know what they need. But I think that in the years to come, once we've become stronger from this situation, the people that go through all of these, uh, the riots and the destruction, nobody's going to remember them. Nobody's going to remember them. What do we need to do to make a change and make an influence? We have the power to do that through God's word if we stand on the truth. So we start with that very much. And this letter is not written to any particular church. But I think it's symbolism here, the elect lady and her children, the church and the members of the church is who this letter is written to. So in verse 4 it says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. So that verse there, 
Rejoice to find. So again, similarly to the last week, John hears that there's good things coming from this church. There's good actions coming from this church. There are people walking in truth. How great it is to find your children when they do do something well and right. Yesterday, Renee and Joel, they went down to Clearbrook. You know if I can get in fishing in the sermon, I'm going to do it. Right? We're fishing, they're fishing this online tournament and there's a lot of seven and a half inch brim in Clearbrook, just so you know. We have to try to catch one that's eight inches. and There's a lot in there, but that last half an inch is hard. Right, but Renee said there was two kids that came up at about Joel's age, maybe a little older, and they had this area roped off. And it said, you know, don't go on this uh, dock here. And they just hopped over the rail, and Joel said, hey, there's a sign there. You go over that. And they're like, well, nobody's looking. But I know Renee was proud of him. I was proud. Right? I was pleased that he was obedient to those signs. I'm sure you've got examples too. Hopefully all of us do. At least a few examples. Right? Of what our children are walking in the way of the truth. They're doing what they're supposed to do. One of the key words in this that I like, and Chris, I just said you just need to keep preaching this morning. Keep preaching, because you're really good at just walking right through it, because you say, we got to walk. And in this verse right here, it says, to find some of your children, what? Walking in the truth. Not sitting in the truth. <laughs> you don't sit in the truth. You walk in the truth. There's um, this concept of couch to 5K. Anybody heard that? Right? Or you're sitting on the couch. But you need to try to get up and walk or run a 5K just to kind of spot it going. I had this great idea. We should do a spiritual couch to 5K. It's a thing. Did you know that? There's a thing. I was like, oh, well, lost my chance there. Right? There's a spiritual couch to 5K, right? So but just like this verse, they were glad to see people walking and being obedient to God's word. That's a physical action, but it's also a spiritual action as well to make sure that we're just not sitting in our faith. That no matter where we're at in our lives or what we're going through, we are called to walk. We are called to walk in the truth. Verse 5. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I'm writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Last week we talked about how Christ came and gave us that example of love. He set the bar higher for us than the worldly standards. He set it higher. He raised the bar for us. But too many times, we just want to hit the bar or don't even try to get to the bar. And sometimes we like to sit on the bar. So Brother Brian, were you able to find that clip? All right. So some of you have probably seen this. Huff said it was one of his favorites. So good, he can watch it again. Think about how your walk is and how you are walking or sitting or maybe holding too tight to the world. We watch this short video. A little laughter does the soul good. But it's an excellent message. Excellent message about the bar. When I think about Brother Dave, I think he had a great dismount. I think he had a great dismount. And he lived his life. Not hugging that beam, hugging, the, hugging his wife and hugging the Lord. Hope you enjoyed that. It's really good. It's been viewed 
a couple million times. <laughs> but again, a great message and a great challenge to us that there is a new way to love. And we have to walk and not sit. We have to work before God and bring Him glory in all that we do. Verse 6 says, And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. You should walk in it. This is love. We should walk in love. How do we do that? Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. We'll read those. Hebrews chapter 13, 1 through 8. Say amen if Brian beats you or you get there first. <laughs> Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 8. It says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated, since you are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among you, and let marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexual immorale and adulteress. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Hospitality to strangers. Pray for them. Those in prison, less fortune. Marriages. Pray for your spouse. Pray to God for the help and encouragement that you need. Remember the leaders in your life and around you. Pray for them. Love on them. I had a detour. I had a detour Friday morning. Going up the road. This gentleman just starting to rain. I'm like, stop, don't stop. You know, a little struggle. Stop, don't stop. Stop, don't stop. God said stop. The only thing I didn't do right in the situation is call my wife before I picked him up. And we've already got through that mini reprimand session. And I told her, I totally understand. So, but, you know, everybody has a story. Where are we called to help? Where does God call you to help? You know, gentlemen, life stroke, drug rehab. Needs help. Needs prayer, needs help. Needs a ride. Needs some breakfast. Call me at lunch. Need another ride. Okay. Buddy Jason helped me out for that, actually. He covered me for the meeting that I was a little late to. He took good notes for me. You know? Where's God calling you to love and to serve others? Because if you listen, He'll tell you. He will tell you. The other thing from this passage that I wanted to share with you that I heard totally unrelated, but I thought was so great, on about loving and how we talk about people. There was this lady that she said that, um, you know, she went to school and her child had a disability. And the teacher kept saying, the disabled child, the disabled child, the disabled child. And it just got to this mother, it got to this mother, and it got to this mother that 
She didn't have a disabled child. She had a child that had a disability. And I share that here because we want you to be aware that it's the person first. We talked about what they look like or what they don't look like, what they smell like, what they don't smell like. God calls all people to Him. It's not a drug addict that comes to you. It's a person. It's a child of God that comes to you has an addiction problem. I see the slight difference in the way that we have to change our mindset to look at people. They are all children of God. I dare say that I, I challenge you to raise your hand if you don't have a problem. Anybody got any problems? Yes. We all have our own problems that we deal with in life. But we are all children of God and we have to make sure that we look at people that way as we pray for them and see what help they need as we walk in our faith and in our life. All right, back to 2 John verse 7. 2 John verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such is one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So remember last week we talked about Gnostics, not to get too technical, but right, they believed right, that the body was evil, uh, the Spirit uh, came upon Jesus when He was baptized and then left for the cross and just, they, had, they struggled. They didn't have sound doctrine or sound belief. And again, John is calling us in this letter and he's warning us about that. That's why I like it so much we sang that we believe this morning. We sang that. If you'll remember last week in John chapter 3, verse 10, we said, who's your daddy verse? By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So who's your daddy? Right? I like that. And that's the reminder here that you know, people have gone out into the world and, and they want to confound or confuse the message of Christ. They want to sound close enough, but then when you dig down a little deeper, it's just not what God calls us to be. And I thought about this week, and we looked at it Wednesday night a little bit about, well, how do you know? What does a spirit-filled life look like? I'm going to hit those really quick. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Paul writes, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So these short few verses give us four things about what the Spirit-filled life looks like. The first one is we are called to be biblically pleasant. We're filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, and spirit, excuse me, and spiritual songs, right? So we're called to be biblically pleasant if we're filled with the Spirit. Dr. Hefner writes this. He says, music influences us. It sways us. It changes us. It frightens us. It challenges us. It motivates us. And Paul knew this. And he explained that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will be a pleasant song to the ears of those we encounter. How pleasant is your song to others? What do they hear from your walk? What do they see from your walk? If you are truly filled with the Holy Spirit, it will be a sweet song 
or how off-key you might be. be a sweet song. This verse also tells us that singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, that we will be constantly worshipful. We're spirit-filled, we'll be constantly worshipful. It will not be a meanness. Not M-E-A-N, but M-E-N-E-S-S. Meanness. It's all about me. We are constantly worshipful if we are spirit-filled. And it's all about God, not about me. Verse 20 says, Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's four verses or four words here in here that I tend to struggle with. Always and for everything, we should be thankful. I struggle. That's a challenge for me. Always and for everything, I'm more at like sometimes for some things. The way most of us live. Some of us might be, we are mostly thankful for most things. But the challenge here and what you would expect to see from a spirit-filled person is that just what Paul says, always and for everything, we give thanks to God the Father. And then also the last one here in this passage, a spirit-filled person will be willingly submissive. Willingly submissive. And just like a, a soldier might bend his will to his supervisor, we submit our will willingly to God the Father. If we flip back just to Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says it beautifully. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner, there's walk again, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The bond of peace, he says it well there. So from that short passage, we are called to be biblically pleasant, constantly worshipful, unceasingly thankful, and willingly submissive. Right, let's go back to Second John. We were reading verse 7, and then we get back to our main verse here. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. This isn't the first time we've heard this. Mark verses 13 Mark chapter 13, verse 22 and 23, it says, For false Christ, little c, and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Verse 23 says, But be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. So Mark is quoting Christ here in his passage. And John chapter 2, verse 8, 7 and 8, is reminding us of what Christ has told us. Do we remember what Christ teaches us? This is a tough time. Do we remember what Christ teaches us in the tough times? He teaches us in every day in our life if we listen and look forward to those lessons. What am I supposed to get from this? So we have to be watchful. We have to, again, he says in this passage, may not see what we have worked for. Excuse me, worked. Walking and work. To me, those two things... I put together in my mind as, as walking and work because work hard for something. If you work hard for something, 
Do you want to lose it? No? Right. We want to keep it. If we work for it, we want to keep it. We worked hard for it. So in my family recently, for whatever reason, Lily has found the Rifleman. The old Western. Anybody watch the Rifleman? Remember that show? Lucas McCain? Right? The Rifleman. Almost on every day. I ask her how many seasons there were. That kind of lets me know how long we're going to watch in the Rifleman. I think it's nine seasons. I think we're on season five. There's five seasons. We're on season three, I think. There's a few more. Four. We're on season four. We're almost done. My problem and why I hate it is as soon as I hear it, I'm stuck to it. It's like it's only a 24-minute episode. But I get sucked into a plot line so quick. Like, man. So yesterday I had to get some work done. Lily had to watch Shaun the Sheep. You ever seen Shaun the Sheep? There's no words in Shaun the Sheep. So I can sit in another room and I don't have to get, I don't have to get taken back by Shaun the Sheep. I don't get distracted. But we watched the episode of The Rifleman the other day. And uh, Mark, his son, was on the side of a cliff and he was stuck. And these two actually outlaws, they had just robbed a bank. And there was a, one, one of them heard Mark yelling. Hey, I need help, I need help, I need help. And so this little one, he, you know, the, the one outlaw, he comes and he says, hey, I'll help you, I'll help you. But then his older brother says, we got to go, there's a posse after us, we got to go. And so he's like, come on, he grabs him and he rides off and he just continues to hear Mark yelling. And then he turns back and, and, he, and he throws a rope down to Mark and he climbs down and he slips and he falls and the outlaw breaks his leg. Breaks his leg. So now his brother's like, you know, great, right? But now they take Mark back to his uh, back to his little ranch, and then they go, um, and his brother's like, well, I, he can't ride with his brother now, so Lucas McCain says, all right, well, okay, I'll take care of you, right? But then, of course, the whole, you know, threatening with the gun and all that kind of stuff because he knows that he robbed a bank, right? And so over the next four to six weeks, you know, in the show, of course, it fast forwards, but Lucas McCain tells him that there's a better life, and you have to work for it. You can't just run around and actually the son Mark is actually, he's intrigued with this lifestyle. You know, oh yeah, bank robber on the run, woo, do what I want, you know. Kind of, kind of, he's kind of intrigued with that outlaw thing, but then the outlaw says, it ain't what it's cracked up to be. You know, you're always there, you always sit with your back, you know, against the wall so you can face the door, you know, what's going to happen. And, and you just live your life that way in such fear and confusion. That was a good lesson for little Mark. But over the course of those six weeks, Lucas trains them and tells them the little lessons. There might have been a few fist fights and a, and a few things, right? But he tells him, sorry, I don't know, I'm about to take this off. He tells him that uh, there's a better way. You've got to work for it. You've got to work for it. And I like that. And he essentially came to tell him, right, that the old adage that no pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. We work, we effort, we pain, we grow. There's no pain, there's no gain, it's true. But just like a lot of our principles are the opposite of the world's, this adage is true for our physical sense. And it's true in some regard for our spiritual sense. But I wanted to share with you what this phrase means in Christ's sense. This is the book I mentioned on Wednesday night that's not very glamorous. It's really thick and it has no pictures. Yeah, those are tough. Those are real tough. But this is a great section. I highlighted it and marked it up. All right, if no pain is experienced in a workout, no gain is experienced in the growth of pushing muscles to new capacities. 
If no pain of sacrifice is experienced in a diet, no gain of lost weight will be realized. If no pain of discipline is experienced in going to school, no gain of a new position on the job can be experienced. If we do not endure the pain of saving now, we will not enjoy, not gain enough money to take that wonderful vacation later. No pain, no gain is a true maxim. But Jesus told his disciples, as he tells us now, that it is not the only, nor even the highest motivation. Jesus did not go to the cross just so that he could enter into glory. Remember, he came from glory. Jesus went to the cross so that others could gain release from sin. He went to the cross so that others could gain eternal life, abundant life right now. Jesus says, yes, pain will produce gain. Yes, I will gain the kingdom, but that is not my highest motivation. That is not the heart of what I am doing. I am not here for glory. I am here to give all that I am for others so that they can gain real life. Jesus did not go to the cross for his own glory. He went to the cross so that you and I can sit here with our sins forgiven and eternal life now ours. A higher motivation for Jesus' life was my pain, others gain. My pain, others gain. If our sacrifice in this life is directed only toward our gain, our own future, it is a gain that becomes increasingly self-centered and increasingly empty of meaning. The disciples learned that greatness in the kingdom of God is not a matter of power, position, accomplishment, or recognition. Greatness involves taking the place of a servant and seeking the best of those around us. Our own personal sacrifice has meaning and purpose if it is directed toward the gain of others. My pain your gain. Kind of opposite, right? Just like the disciples wanted, wanted a Savior, a Messiah to come in and save them, they didn't want someone to serve them, show them how to serve. But my pain, others' gain, is the higher bar. Our passage says that we may not lose what we have worked for, but we may win a full reward. A full reward. Matthew 6, 19 reminds us that there's the reward in heaven, that we should lay up our treasures in heaven. And there will be that judgment day that we've talked about. And turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 8 through 15. This is what our ceremony, so to speak, might look like as, as Paul describes it, as we talk about what our walk, what our works have looked like on earth. Let's read this starting in 1 Corinthians 3, 8. It says, He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will be, they will disclose it. That day meaning judgment day. 
because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one of us has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So what kind of works are we storing up? This talking about the fire and testing our works I don't know if I'm proud or ashamed to admit it, but for whatever reason, I've started to play Fortnite. I don't know. I don't know. All right? Started to play Fortnite. And there's this gun in Fortnite. It's called a flare gun. Really cool gun because you build stuff. And you shoot this gun out there, and it burns up whatever somebody built, right? And then they fall down, and you can eliminate them. And that's the nice word we say in our house. We eliminate them. And... Um, but that flare gun, right? It's like, what is the... Yeah, that was, that was funny. Hey, got to work the system a little bit. All right? So, but that gun, right, it's, you, you, you build this stuff. You build up all this stuff, and what's it for? What's it for? Does it really matter? On Judgment Day, will it really matter what you're doing? Who's at the center of it? Is God at the center of what we're doing? Or is it me that's in the center of it? Am I building other brothers and sisters up? Or am I just doing it to make me look better? I was thinking about that. I thought about there's the headline several weeks ago where this lady, you know, took a selfie of, of uh, she took a drill from somebody, had them take a picture of her so she could post it, right? They, like, tracked her down. It's like she just wanted to note service. She wasn't doing anything. She just wanted to post it on her Facebook page so that it looked like she was doing something. But just like that word of caution there at the very first of, of verse 8, watch yourselves. We have to be aware, constantly aware of the false teachings that it's all about me. It's all about me. Do this. Do that. Listen, and, and try to get in and try to take away who Christ is for us. Verse 9 says we have to stay in the teaching. Here we go. Verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has born, has both the Father and the Son. Of course, we cleaned out our basement, so we got rid of these big boxes. But I just wanted to say here, abide in God's Word. Just like get in it. <laughs> just get in it. Get in God's Word. I was going to do this big box, but get in God's Word and stay there. <laughs> That's right. Whenever people come at us, just get in God's Word and stay there. When I read that verse and it says, abide in the teaching, that's what he is telling us to do, to stay in it. For many years, I thought dust on the bottles was dust on the Bible. That song, I know, I was young, I know. I admit it all today. Admit it all today. When I was little, were they listened to that song. I was like, dust on the Bible, they must not be reading it. Right? So... But dust on the Bible. We should never have it. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, but you should always have the Word of God open. Right? I get on my kids when I say, grab your Bibles. They said, don't know where it's at. That means you haven't read it. So they hadn't read it. Recent memory, if you don't remember where your Bible's at. Right? You don't, if you don't know where your Bible's at, if you go to church on Sunday morning and you think, I got to grab my Bible and you don't know where it's at, that's a problem. That's a problem. I don't have my still toes on, but I said it. 
We should know where our Bibles are at. We should know. Abide in it. Abide in it. Verse 10 and 11. This is kind of like our practical warning here. It says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. And what John is cautioning us here is that Christians weren't the only people that traveled around in that time and day. There were other false teachers that traveled around, right? And they were selling their message, of course, more for profit than any heavenly rewards. But just like John warns us here, we have to be careful today. Because people like to redefine words. It's tricky. But when we say God, we mean God the Son. God, we mean one God. Excuse me, let me go back. When a Mormon says the word God, they actually mean many gods. But when a Christian says God, we mean one God. When a Jehovah Witness says Jesus Christ, they don't mean God. Or they mean not a God created, he was created by Jehovah. We mean God the Son, creator of all. When someone in the Christian science uses the word term, they mean illusion or error or something not real. But when we say sin, it's disobedience to God's will. The New Age movement. When they say salvation, they mean becoming one with the universe. But when we say salvation, it's reconciliation with God by the blood of Jesus Christ. They will use the same words, but define them differently. And Just like John was cautioning them here in verse 10 and 11, the same thing applies for us. Again, we have to stay connected. And we have to, to, to God's word and be ready and be alert and watch ourselves. So that when people come, we're prepared and ready. So how should we respond? It says right here, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. John is cautioning us, don't be an accomplice to the false teachings. Don't be an accomplice. We know from other passages that we've read and we've studied that our response should always be in love. Rudeness and unkindness. Remember I talked about the, pleasant, the uh, spirit-filled person? Rudeness and kindness, rudeness and unkindness are not the marks of Christ. But we have to be assertive in our response. That's the key. We can't compromise on our beliefs. And we have to be careful of what they define in different terms. We also have to remember that it is not more loving. Follow me here. It is not more loving to be tolerant of false teachings. I got that? That's your takeaway. It's not more loving to be tolerant of false teachings. Love, true love, will always point people toward Christ, not away from Him. Not away from Him. Verse 12, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. I think this verse is even more <laughs> impactful today in COVID-19. I don't want to write you a letter. I don't want to send you a text message. I don't even want to call you. I want to see you, brother. 
I want to see you. And that's what he's saying here. I could write you more. I could tell you more. I can encourage you more. But I don't want to. I'm done. I said what I need to say. And I look forward to coming and visit you. They want to see face to face. As our believers in Christ. The one thing that's helped me with this message. Is that one day. We'll see each other again. Face to face. We'll see brother Dave again. Stand as we close.